And tonight we have a special guest coming to speak to us. And I have known this, this man since spring of 2008 when I first began to really walk with the Lord and um, when God revealed himself to me. And um, he is an amazing man of God whom I love and respect very much. He's um, a, a leader at the New Philly Itaewon campus, okay, one of the pastors there. And he's also a full-time missionary doing orphanage ministry in Korea. And so um, let's give a warm welcome to Pastor John Michael Becker. Thank you, Rona. Love you. So good to be here. I'm right in front of you, but I have to speak in the mic because you're recording this, right? Okay. All right, let's do this. It's going to be fun tonight. It's going to be good. I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Isaiah 55. the verse that came on my heart when I was praying for snoo earlier. Yeah, that's the verse that was on my heart for you guys. It's Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. And I felt that this verse is specifically for you guys here at SNU. And I feel like you guys in this fellowship, you're in a specific season of your life where the Lord is easily found. Doesn't mean that God's going to disappear later in your life, but there's a special grace right now in your life to seek him and to find him and to get deep with him. And I'm going to share with you guys some stories from my life uh, that will encourage you and how I sought the Lord. I went through these specific seasons that I feel that you are in and I got in deep with God. I got in deep and he has never disappointed me. It has always been good. And the one thing about God that you guys need to know is that he's gentle, he is loving, and he says, call to me and I will answer you. Tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. It's Jeremiah 33, 3. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Christ calls you to him. All right, and I feel like you're in a season right now where God's not going to force himself on you. But he's saying, if you want me, you will find me. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. This is a season where if you guys seek him, you're going to find him deep. And he's going to change your life for, for glory. I'm telling you guys, it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to share some tidbits of my life so you guys know that I'm living it. That I know what I'm talking about. That I'm not just making stuff up because that's what you know I'm supposed to do on stage. No, this is, this is my life. And uh, as Rona shared, uh, I serve at an orphanage. I direct an orphanage ministry. I came to Korea almost eight years ago been here almost eight years uh, and been serving the orphans. Uh, God's been building me up. I now direct Jerusalem ministry and orphanage ministry, uh, and I direct Oak Tree Project, a scholarship mentoring program uh, for orphans wanting to go to college. And uh, as Rona shared, I'm also serving at New Philly Itaewon. And I got a lot of testimonies, but I'm going to narrow them down to share a few key ones for you guys tonight. I'm going to start, um, if, you're, if you're titling this, you can title it, You Gotta want them. You got to want him. Capital H. You got to want him. You got to want God. Don't let this season of your life pass you by. So my testimony, how did I become a Christian? Uh, It's pretty, it's not, it's not that exciting. Okay. (laughs) But you see, the danger is, is a lot of people think your testimony has got to be like the pinnacle part of your life. The truth is, your testimony is just the beginning. It should always get more and more and more exciting. Otherwise, why would anyone want to become a Christian? So that they can have one moment in their life where they got a cool story? 
No, it should be an adventure. It should be exciting. It should get crazier and crazier and better and better. Okay? So my story begins, uh, not, not an exciting story. I was a white uh, suburbanite um, growing up outside Washington, D.C. Uh, with my family, born Christian, raised Christian, went to a Christian school up until high school, went to youth group, went to church on Sunday. I was a good kid. I, I knew, you know, how to pray. I knew how to open my Bible, but I didn't know God. Okay, let's just be honest. I didn't have an active relationship with God. I believed in God. I believe I had faith, but I didn't have an active relationship. I didn't hear anything. I didn't feel anything. I was just doing what my parents demonstrated to me. But that changed when I was 16, and I went on a retreat. It was a Christian camp for a week with a bunch of high schoolers. And during one of those nights in worship, as people were singing, um, God was stirring in my heart already, but I heard his voice that night for the first time. And it was very simple. And this is what God told me. He said, John Michael, I love you. And it was very simple. It was just those words, John Michael, I love you. And in that moment, just some different memories flashed before my mind. And they were simple memories of people showing me love. And not like memories of my family or people like really close to me, but more like teachers, like, like just different people that had shown love to me in my life. And what I saw behind each of these people was I saw God. And I saw God loving me through them. And it was in that moment that 1 John 4.19 became real to me. It says, we love because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. And what I realized was all the love that I had received in my life was from God. That God is real. That he is in my life. Now, his name is Emmanuel. That means God with us. And he has been showing me his love because he is the author of love. Any love that occurs here on earth, it's from God. Okay? It's pure. And uh, I had known about the cross all my life. I had known about that sacrifice. And, you know, that's powerful and everything. But for me, what really hit my heart was a revelation that, wow, God is right here. God has been there since I was in the womb. He's been with me all the years of my life. He will continue to be with me. And he loves me. That's what made me just, just really break down before the Lord and commit my life to him. So that night, I committed my life to the Lord, and I gradually started to grow with him. I started to hear his voice. My season, though, and this is the season that you guys are in, of it says, call to me, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. This was when I was in college, Virginia Tech, study engineering. Yeah, Michelle, Hokey. Okay, uh, yeah, it's the name, whatever, mascot, <laughs> makes no sense, hokey. Uh, but yeah, Virginia Tech, I was studying engineering, and uh, I wanted, you know, the American dream, I'm going to study really hard, I'm going to get a great degree, I'm going to get a good job, I'll have a nice house, I'll get married, and I'll have kids, and it'll be a great life. Okay, that was my dream. But God began to change things, because I began to seek him my freshman year. And uh, I broke up with my girlfriend. And, uh, yeah, you know, that was part of me coming into the season of seeking the Lord because I'd been girl crazy up to that point. And uh, God was showing me, look, you're wasting your time and your thoughts. Seek me during the season. And so my uh, second semester, freshman year, I felt led by God to give up girls for college. Okay. And so I just made an a agreement with the Lord. I said, okay, God, I'm hungry for you. I want to know more of you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop obsessing about marriage and finding my, you know, missus. And I'm really going to seek you, God. And I did that. And, you know, God blessed me in college. My eyes, I started to train them not to look at girls, not to, I mean, I had friends, okay, of course, very good sisters, but not to look them in any wrong way. And I really began to grow with the Lord. My first semester there, I was praying about 10 minutes a night, okay. And uh, second semester, it was about 15 minutes a night. Uh, second year, first semester, I was praying about 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes a night. Second semester of my sophomore year, I was praying about 30 minutes. My third year, first semester, I was praying about 40, 45 minutes. Third semester of my third year, uh, and I was working during the semester, I was praying about an hour a night. By the time I graduated, I was praying about two to two and a half hours a day. Okay, this wasn't some religious thing. This was, I'm so in love with you, God. You are so good. I want to be with you more. Taste and see the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I just began to hunger for him more and more. And I just set him first. And all that I did, uh, when I came back from my first semester of freshman year, actually I had to drop that very first semester because I got sick. And I had to go home. I had to recuperate. That's a whole other testimony. I got a lot of them. And uh, I came back second semester. And that was basically my beginning of college. Finished that, that semester. Came home. My GPA got, it was mailed to us. Uh, that was before, I guess, email was big. And, uh, and I got a 3.4, okay? It was like 4.0 is perfect. Okay, 3.4 is dean's list in America. That means honors. And uh, I didn't know what my parents would be happy about, but I, I just showed it, and they said, you made dean's list. That's great. And I was like, okay, my parents are happy and content if I get a 3.4. And so I prayed, and I said, God, I pray that you will help me get a 3.4 in college, but I'm going to put you first. And I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to, I'm going to read the word first. I'm going to pray first before I study. And even if I don't have much time to study at all, I'm still going to pray and read the word first. And I'm going to trust that you're going to help me get that 3.4. Okay? And I'm telling you guys, God was faithful. But I was put to the test during my second year, second semester. I had to take 19 credits. All right? That's a lot. Uh, and it was all engineering. There were no fluff classes. It was all chemistry, physics. Um, there was multivariable, differential equations, statistics. That was a, a senior-level statistics class. And uh, there was AutoCAD, and there was some other stuff that I can't remember. It, it didn't make sense to me. Uh, but it was, it was a hard semester, okay? And so I'm really trying to put the Lord first. And I'm also leading a Bible study in my fellowship, busy with all these different things. And uh, test week comes around. At Virginia Tech, we usually had, probably just like you guys, like three test weeks. Uh, it would be like after one month, you have a test week. After another month, you'd have another test week. And then you have final, final exams. Okay, and this is like 30%, 30%, 30% of your grade, all right, at least for my engineering classes. So these tests are important. And uh, the first week, I take seven exams in one week. And I start to get the test back, and, uh, you know, I'm expecting, like, all right, I think I did good on this one. I get it back, and it's a C minus. I'm like, all right, well, next one will be better. Get the next test back, and it's a D. I'm like, all right, that's not normal. I go to the next, next class, my statistics class. Now, this class, if I don't pass it, uh, it's basically like the, the door, the, the hinge between me continuing on being an engineer or having to take a whole year over. Okay, that's how important this one class is, and it's, it's a really hard statistics class. I get my grade, and it's an F, and it's a bad F. And the class average was like a 78 or something, and I'm like way down. I think it was like a 50 or something, and I was like, whoa, like I don't, I'm not that dumb. Like something's wrong, and test after test, and finally I get to my multivariable calculus class, and I'm pretty good at math, so I'm like, I know I aced this one, and I get the test, and I got a 70 on it. And I'm like, what the? And I start to look in it. And it's one of those exams where you're supposed to do the shell method. Any, any calculus people in here? Okay, you're supposed to do the shell method. And I had done the disk method. Oh, you know, and I filled it out. Got the right answer. But because I didn't use the whatever method it was, X. And then the next one was the opposite. It was like use the shell method. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember what it was. But, uh, and, and so I got the right answers but I didn't do it in the right way. And so I got a 70. I remember I was walking back to my dorm, and there was other stuff going on, other drama in, in the fellowship that I don't even want to get into uh, that was really heavy. And I was like, God, like, can it get any worse? Like, what's going on? And then it started to rain. And I was like, it's not even cloudy. Like, what's going on? Like, it was raining on me. And uh, to add to this, at this season... I go to my uh, AutoCAD class. AutoCAD's where you like design like like shapes, different engineering stuff on this computer program. This is a long time ago, so I'm sure it's much more advanced now. But anyway, I go to this class eight in the morning on a Friday, and the professor says, "Is there a uh, John Michael Becker in this class?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> right here." And he said, "See me after class." And I'm like, "Well, that that doesn't sound good." And uh, so I go up to him after class. And he said, you're John Michael Becker? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's my name. It's long, isn't it? And, uh, and he said, see me in my office on Monday. I was like, okay, well, what's this about? You'll find out on Monday. And I'm like, great. Uh, you know, just going along with my horrible week. Uh, there was so much more going on. Well, I go to his office on Monday. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, what, what's going on? 
he says, well, you tell me. And he throws my homework in front of me along with my friend, my friend Sharon's homework. Now, our homework for AutoCAD is like you're given this different like mechanical object and you have to design it and make it on AutoCAD, on this program, identically. Okay, so this, this object, got to make it identical dimensions, everything on this program. And uh, it's kind of like math, like 2 plus 2 is 4. Everybody's going to have the same answer, right? Well, what had happened was um, I had done my homework with Sharon in a computer lab, and it took like four hours. We did it separate. I finish. I print it off. I'm waiting for her. She finally finishes it, and she hits print, and her computer crashes, and she loses everything. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, I've been with you for four hours. I know that you did it. Look, I tell you what. I'll just change my name on here, and I'll print it again. Well, you know what my professor does? He takes every homework, and he holds it up like this to the light to see if the dimension on the exact same place on the paper. And for me and Sharon, it was on the exact same place. He's like, you cheated. And I said, no, and I'm trying to explain everything. And he said, that's for the honor court to decide. Get out of my office. And I'm like, honor court? I haven't heard of that, but that doesn't sound good. Okay? And uh, I go, I'm like, I'm just beat up. All right? And I'm telling you guys, there's more than all these F's and D's and C's uh, and this honor court thing. There was so much stuff going on. Well, I go to my friend's room, and I'm like, guys, this is what happened. I'm trying to seek some encouragement. And I'm like, you know, you said it's for the honor court. And they're like, honor court? Oh, no. And they said, honor court, you're guilty until proven innocent. Like, you know, no matter what you say, you're, you're guilty. And you're going to get 40 hours of community service and a mark on your permanent record that you cheated. And I'm like, what? I got to work at the food court for 40 hours and then I got a mark on my permanent record and I get a double-weighted zero on two of my assignments. So that automatically makes my grade the best I could get is a C. And uh, I remember going back to my room, and I'm like, God, do you want me to just drop out and go to seminary? Like, <laughs> like what do I do, you know? <laughs> like, what, what's going on? And uh, I tell my parents, and they're like, they're praying for me. And uh, I, had, I was tested at that time. Like, do I start studying more? Do I just, like, give up? Do I let depression just cloud me? Because I'll tell you guys, after all that mess, I went up and I got in my room, I got in my bed, and I pulled on the, you know, the, the blanket. It's like 5 in the afternoon, but I'm like, I'm ready to sleep for a few days. <laughs> it's just depressed. And uh, my friends came by later that night because it was time for our familia, like what you guys do. It was house, um, I forget what we called it, home, home group, okay? It was time for a home group. And uh, I did not want to go. You guys know the feeling, right? There's some, some of the days, I don't want to go. I'm not in the mood, you know? Just want to check out. But I felt God saying, you need to go. And I dragged myself there. And I just remember during the praise and during the sharing, it wasn't anything like revelational or like psh, blow you away. But I just felt the presence of God. And it was just like the presence of God when I accepted Christ. Okay, I just felt him. And I knew, I was like, God, you're with me. You're with me. And even if this stuff falls apart, I'm going to trust in you. And uh, he gave me that grace. And so I kept seeking him. And I studied, but I wasn't like, you know, just, just forsaking God. I was being faithful. Okay, I kept being faithful, kept praying, kept reading the word. And uh, second test around, I do good in all my other exams except for statistics. And I get it back, and it's another F. Okay, now that's 60% of my grade, and I've gotten like 250s, and the class average is like a 78. And I'm, I'm about to bomb this class. And uh, I just, yeah, I, I remember stress came over me, and I'm like, am I going to, like, drop out? I'm going to get a permanent mark on my record. I'm going to have to do all this, this community service. I'm going to have all these bad grades. I'm going to have to repeat a year. Like, what's going on, God? And uh, my parents encouraged me with different scripture. Just rely on the Lord. Keep your hope and your trust in him. And I, I kept doing that. I kept praying. I kept seeking him. And you know what I found out was that statistics class, those exams were take-home exams, and they were thick. Okay, and you had a week to do them. You could use your textbook. You could use different stuff, but you weren't supposed to work with other people. Well, you know what all the fraternities and sororities did? They passed them around. Okay, and this is why the grades were so high, but for me, my grades were Fs. Okay, I tried my best, but I did it on my own with integrity, but everyone else was cheating. The professor, I think, found out about this, and she said the final exam uh, is not going to be take-home originally, like it was originally. It's going to be in the lecture hall. 
So I calculated my grade, and I knew if I got a 100 on that final exam, I would end up with a C minus. Okay, I'd never gotten below a B uh, in college, and uh, it would you know jack up my GPA. It would jack up those different things. But I was like, God, you know, just help me get the C minus. Help me at least pass, please. And uh, I kept being faithful, kept seeking Him. I would go to office hours. I would study on the side, and uh, the exam time finally came around. I took it. I did my best, and I remember going uh, the next day to my classes, and it was other engineering classes, same students, though. They're like, did you see the grades? They're online. Uh, man, I, I thought I was going to get a B. I got a D in the class. And they're like, yeah, man, I, I failed. I failed statistics. You see all the horrible grades? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, and so I go home, and I, I look it up, and there's like 150 people in the class. I'm scrolling down. I finally find my, my student number, and it's a B minus. And uh, I danced, okay? I'm, I'm not ashamed. I danced. But I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what happened? And, you know, I, I honestly believe it was just the teacher saw the difference in the last final, and she weighted it differently. And so she, she increased the weight of the first two exams and increased the weight of the last exam. So it lifted up my grade. Now, all my other classes that I got in all these C's and D's in, I ended up getting A's and B's in. I ended up with a higher GPA than I had the previous semesters. Well, then my last class, that AutoCAD, the professor comes up to me and says, uh, look, I'm, I'm just going to drop everything. It's all dropped. You got an A in the class. Okay, that's what he told me. And uh, it went on with class after class. You know what happened in college was I kept seeking the Lord and... I, I just, like I said, it became more and more time. Now, how does a senior who's doing all these different engineering classes, well, also, I had like nine meetings a week for my college fellowship. I was very, very involved. Okay, you guys think you're busy with Emmaus? I had nine meetings a week, all right? And, uh, and then I was praying like two, two and a half hours a day, and I was reading the Bible like 30 minutes, 40, 45 minutes a day. Where did I get the time for my classes? God would give me grace, I remember there'd be days where I would sit down and I would have like an hour and a half to write a six-page lab report. And I'm like, I don't even know how to write a lab report. And I'm like, what do I do? And, uh, and I would sit down and then it would just like, it would just flow. And I'd be done, an hour and a half. My friends, it would take like six hours. I'm not a genius, guys. I would go to my classes at the end of the semester and they would say, uh, John Michael, I, I saw you got a 91 in my class. That's an A minus. But uh, I just noticed you were, you were there at every class, and I uh, really liked your attitude. I'm going to give you an A. Okay. You know, thanks. <laughs> Next class I go to, the professor. And I don't even, I've never talked to the professor before. He calls me over at the end of class. Sit down. Uh, you got an 88 in my class. That's a B plus. But uh, I, I saw you at every class. Uh, I really liked your, your effort, your attitude. I'm giving you an A. Guys, I ended my senior year with straight A's. This is God's grace. You seek the Lord. You follow him. He will not disappoint you. He will bless you. He will prosper you in all your ways. Okay, he is good. Do you think God wants you to just go study all the time and not, not know him and be like, you'll, you'll get to know me in heaven. You know, just, 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 just live here on earth and do whatever you're doing. That's not what God wants for you. He wants to know you. And you got to know that as you know him, he's going to take care of the periphery. He's going to take care of everything around you. I'll tell you guys, uh, when I was a sophomore, that same semester where I was taking 19 credits, uh, God had put on my heart that I needed to do a co-op. Now, for an engineer, this is what Joe Pang at KU is doing. A co-op is you take a semester off and you work at an engineering firm, okay, and you get experience. Almost all engineers do this. Most engineers study for five years. One year, they're working. Well, I'd already lost one semester, and I had no engineering experience on my resume. And so I knew that summer I needed to get an internship that would give me something on my resume so I could get a co-op. Because why would any engineering firm want someone who has absolutely no experience? So I started to apply for internship, but God said, he put it on my heart. He said, no, I want you to go to Korea. I want you to go to this English, teaching English camp. I'd never been outside of the country. I didn't know where Korea was in the world. I knew it was in Asia, um, but, but I didn't know much about it. Uh, but I could sense the spirit moving in my heart, and I had excitement. And, uh, and so I said, but God, you know, what about the internship? And he told me, just trust me. And so I, I did the missions trip to Korea. It was like four weeks. I had a really hard time. I couldn't eat the kimchi. I lost, I lost 12 pounds, uh, not just because of the food, but it was really hard, the missions trip. And uh, I thought, I'll never do missions again, especially not in Korea. 
<laughs> Whoops. And, uh, and I came home, and I was like, but I'd grown a lot in my spiritual walk through it. And uh, then that fall semester, my third year, I start going to all these job fairs, and I'm applying for these co-ops. I'm applying, you know, like, please, you know, hire me to work for six months, you know, next year. And no one's responding. No one's responding. And uh, I'm starting to get discouraged. And I'm like, God, you know, what did I do? Like, should I register for my next semester? You really put on my heart that I would be working next semester. Like, what's going on? Um, but I kept faithful, kept seeking the Lord. And then one day I got a phone call. And uh, it was in like the late afternoon, but my roommate was still asleep because he would wake up at like five at night. And, uh, and it rang, and uh, it was a guy with a thick Indian accent. And uh, I thought I thought it was a telemarketer, and so he's like, "Is you know John Michael Becker there?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know who's this?" Like you're thinking it's Visa or Mastercard because we get those phone calls all the time at college. And uh, he's like, "Oh, you know this is so and so from Infineon Technologies. Um, do you have a moment for a phone interview for an engineering internship at our place?" And I'm like, "Oh, hello, sir. <laughs> you know, like yes, sure, I'd be glad to." And and so I'm doing this phone interview with my roommate, like right here sleeping, because the phone's right next to his head. And I do it. I don't even know what I'm saying, but I'm giving it my best shot. And they said, "Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we'll call you back if if you got it." I'm like, "Okay, great." And I hung up. Next day, I get a phone call. Now it's from a manager uh, at Infineon, and he calls me. He gives me a follow-up interview. And then uh, he asked me, would you be interested in taking this internship January to next June, six months? And it was well-paying, uh, this internship. And I said, sure, great. And he said, John Michael, do you know what made your resume stand out from all the other resumes? I noticed on here uh, that you had experience teaching English in another country, in Korea. This shows me that you have experience with people of different culture, of different background." And, and communicating with them, and that you'll do very well uh, in our fabrication plant with the workers. And, uh, and I was like, wow, because I thought that that missions trip would forfeit my experience to get a job. But instead, it was the very thing that made me stand out. And when I got to Infineon and I met the other interns, they were a bunch of eggheads. They were like, I'm sorry, really like nerdy people, okay? That's a really old language, egghead. They're like 4.0 straight A's. I'm from Rochester Institute of Technology. I'm, you know, top engineering school in New York. I'm from this, this school, all like 4.0. I did not have 4.0. Okay. Top schools. I'm Virginia Tech. It's decent engineering, but not like the best. And I'm like, holy shimoli. Out of like this stack of resumes that he looked through that all had amazing GPAs and all this engineering experience and top universities, he chose mine. Because I went on a missions trip to Korea. Because I obeyed the voice of the Lord. You see, the world tries to say, you got to study, you got to do all these things, and you got to just focus on this, and you'll succeed in life. And there's a truth, you guys. You need to study well. Okay, you don't want to slack off, but I feel like I'm preaching the choir here at SNU. But what God says is, no, you follow me, you walk in my way, and I'll prosper you. I'll bring you second in Egypt like Joseph. I'll make you second in Persia like Mordecai. I'll bring you up second in Babylon like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'll give you wisdom beyond all your peers. You know how Peter and John appeared before the Sanhedrin? These were the top educated men of their day. And it says that Peter and John spoke to them with such boldness that the Sanhedrin, they were shaken and said, where, where did these men get educated? These are just mere fishermen. How are they speaking with such wisdom and authority? That's what God will give you guys if you seek him. If you seek him. It says here, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And so I started to get deep with the Lord in college. And uh, there's a verse, Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And as I delighted myself in him, as I saw in him, he began to reveal deep desires within me that I did not know I had. What was my original plan going to college? Nice engineering degree, get a good house, uh, you know, have, have a family, live a safe life. Okay, that was my original dream. But that's what the world had put on me. Okay, just like every advertisement says you need this so that you'll be happy. You need this so that you'll be happy. You know what? That's all just like stickers that have been put over your heart that have, have blocked who you really are. Okay? And God began to peel those things away. That's not what you really need. Notice, you're not satisfied in that. That's not what you really need. And he began to reveal deep desires in me. And one of those deep desires was to become a missionary 
to Asia to do missions in Asia. And uh, I felt him burning in my heart. Third year, more and more my fourth year, to the point where going into my last year of college, I made a list of different countries. And uh, I wrote down like Thailand, Vietnam, uh, China, Taiwan, Japan. I wrote down all these different countries. I wrote down engineering abroad, missions abroad. I wrote down engineering in the States. I wrote down seminary. I wrote down college fellowship staff. 15 different things. I wrote them down and I began to pray. And I said, God, I pray that you guide me with clarity where you want me to go, what you want me to do. Because you're the one that's revealing these desires in me and I'm tasting and seeing that you're good. I want to go your way. I just pray, make it clear. And God, I pray that you make it clear for my parents as well. You see, while my parents are Christian, uh, they were not big on missions. All right, they were not big on leaving America, let alone leaving Virginia. Okay, they wanted me to stay near home, stay near, you know, I can drive over and visit you anytime, son, you know, that type of thing. To go to another country, especially like Asia, the other side of the world, that's scary. So they were like, no, we worked hard to help you, you know, get you a degree, to get you in that college, to pay for all this stuff. You're going to get a job, you're going to work. That, that was their stance. It was very firm. And uh, by, I, I knew, I was like, God, if you've given me these desires and you've stirred my heart, you can do the same for my parents. That's what I knew. All I got to do is I just got to pray and follow you and you will guide me and you will guide them as well. And so during my last uh, year, uh, I was already in a discipline of fasting once a week. But that last year, I, I really focused my prayers when I would fast on praying for my future. And, uh, and I sought him and I sought him. And what ended up happening was God wasn't giving me like these angelic visions or visitations or like, boom, John Michael, you are called. It wasn't anything like that. Instead, what God was doing was he was just leading me to cross things off on the list. And I was like, uh, no, it's not Thailand. No, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not Vietnam. It's not that. It's not that. And uh, I kept seeking him and I was like, God, you got to guide me with clarity. And so I did a, a 10 day uh, water fast during my spring semester of my last year. And uh, I just was hungry for the Lord. I was like, God, I want you so much more. I want your guidance so much more. And I sought him. And this was something God had put on my heart for years to do. And I knew it was supposed to happen my last semester. And, uh, and so I did it. Uh, it was at the same time as CCF retreat, our, our college fellowship retreat. And then uh, I remember on the last day, just to show you how much God will bless you, I was in a class of 550 students. And we had an exam. And uh, it was a huge exam. I took it on my 10th day of a water fast, and I got the highest grade in the class. Okay, that's the grace of the Lord. As you seek him, he'll take care of you. Okay, he's not going to leave you all beat up you know, on the side. But God was, was taking care of me. But you know what happened on those 10-day water fast? Absolutely nothing. Okay? Like, I'm like, come on, God. I'm so, like, tired, though, and, like, like weak. I can't even feel him. And uh, I'm like trying to get guidance from the Lord. There was no angel that showed up. There was no crazy dream. There was no visitation. But I just knew God was going to do something. I knew it. And so I kept seeking him. By the time I graduated in 2005, May 2005, there was only one thing left on my list. And it was Japan. And so I'd applied for a missions agency for Japan. And I thought I was going to go to Nagoya, Japan. Um, but it wasn't anything with clarity. It was just this is the last thing on my list. So I didn't feel like God had really guided me. My parents, by that last semester, they had come around to the point where they said, all right, John Michael, you can go for one year to wherever you want. Just, just go for one year, and then you got to come back and use your degree. All right, so their hearts had kind of opened, but not really. So what I had prayed for was clarity. This was where I was at, about like this. And so I wasn't content. I told the missions agency, look, I'm, I'm not sure about Japan. Um, if I, if I go, it will be in January of 2006. And so I delayed it. I went home and I started work construction for our family business, six in the morning, hard hat, digging ditches, laying wires. Okay. Uh, just working construction, waiting on the Lord. And I told my family, Hey, uh, I won't be eating dinner with the family on Thursday nights. And, uh, they said, Oh, you know, well, why not? I said, Oh, well, Thursday is my fasting day. And they were kind of surprised because fasting wasn't something taught at my, my home church or a discipline they really did. And they were like, well, what are you fasting for? And I said, I'm fasting for my future. And uh, they, they were surprised and they paused for a moment. And then my mom said, John Michael, your future is really important to us as well. We want to fast with you. 
And uh, I remember I was shocked. And uh, I was like, wow, awesome. And, and so you know, a few days went by. Thursday we fasted. And the next day is Friday. Uh, my dad comes home from work, and we're talking. And he said, John Michael, I had the weirdest dream last night. I had a dream that you were with Pastor Che at his orphanage in South Korea. And I'm like, orphanage? I have no heart for kids. South Korea? I don't want to go back to Korea. What a weird dream. And we laughed about it. Like, oh, what a crazy dream, you know? Like, orphanage in South Korea, Pastor Che. Now, Pastor Che, my dad had met him 20 years earlier. He had visited Virginia, spoken at my home church. He could speak English. My dad met him. My dad had never seen him since. I had been in Korea you know, earlier. I visited that orphanage. So I had met Pastor Che, but that was years ago. And, uh, and so for him to have that dream, it was bizarre. Um, but us being dense, uh, we, we didn't really get it. But my mom was like, hmm, we fasted yesterday. And so she kind of like hit it in her heart. And uh, I continued to seek the Lord. And I went on training for the Japan mission. And uh, it was very clear during that training that I wasn't supposed to go to Japan. And so I went home and I had to cross that off the list. Now everything on my list was crossed off. A year of prayer and fasting. And I had nothing. And I said, God... If you want me to be unemployed for your glory, I will do so. But if you want me to go somewhere, you got to make it clear. you got to guide me. And it was just a, a couple weeks later, my dad had a second dream. And this dream, uh, it was a nightmare. And I didn't know this about my dad, but he's the type of guy, his head hits the pillow, he wakes up. Okay? He just sleeps and he wakes up. No dreams. All right? So this nightmare, it shook him up. And so he got out of bed in the middle of the night, which for him is 2 in the morning, uh, for you guys, that's probably when you go to sleep. But uh, he went downstairs, and he opened up his Bible, and he was just praying. And it was like, God, why, why did you give me this horrible dream? What are you trying to tell me? And, uh, and he was praying, and then God spoke very clearly to my dad, middle of the night. And he said, Pete, I speak in dreams. Pay attention. My dad, he got shook. Okay, I heard the voice of God very clearly. And the only dream that he could remember was... Me at the orphanage with Pastor Che. And so he came up to me the next day, and, and this time he's not like, oh, this weird dream. It was, he was shaken. He was like, look, John Michael, I had this dream last night. It was a very, very strong dream. I woke up, and I was praying, and God said this to me, and I feel like something's going on here. And it was there. Something in my mind finally clicked. I had a prayer journal. Okay, uh, back back then where uh, every semester I would write down new names. I would take new entry and I would write down names of people who were on my heart. And you see, when I prayed 10 minutes that freshman year, it was because I only had a few names on there. And uh, I would pray for them because my heart was just this big. All right. But I was growing in God's love. And as I grew in his love that next semester, suddenly I just I felt this compassion and this desire to pray for a few more people. And I would write them down. And as I would pray for them each day. Sometimes God would put an impression on my heart for that person. So I would write it down next to them. And with each semester that would pass, there would be more people on my heart to pray for. And it wasn't religious. It wasn't like, oh, I've got to go pray. It was more like, man, God, your love is so strong. And it's so good. And I want more of you. And so I would pray for other people as well from that heart. And so I was just getting deeper and deeper with them. Well, when I graduated and I went home, I opened up a new entry in my journal. And I wrote down my dad's name. And as I was praying for him, a verse came on my heart, and it was Joel 2.28. And so I looked it up because I didn't have the verse memorized. And it said, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And I was like, that is an awesome verse. What does it have to do with my dad? And I'm praying, and I'm like, sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men dream dreams. Young men will see visions. And I'm getting nothing from the Lord. Okay, I, I'm not getting any clear guidance. And so I'm trying to use my own logic. Like, uh. Finally, I'm like, well, I call my dad my old man. I'll pray that he dreams dreams. And I wrote it down. Dreams, dreams, walks in your spirit. Now, I was just new to the Holy Spirit around that time. I wasn't raised charismatic. Uh, that stuff was very new to me. Uh, but I began to pray for it. Dreams, dreams, walks in your spirit. Well, five days later, he had the dream of me with Pastor Che. But my thick skull didn't get it. It didn't click. It was a month later when he came up to me and was like, I thank God speaking to me in my dreams. That I was like, I've been praying for that. I've been praying for God to speak to you. And he said, you got to email Pastor Che right away. And uh, so I had Pastor Che's email address. He's like in his 70s. Uh, now he's even older. But he was in his 70s then. And um, 
I email him the most ironic email. I'm like, hello, my name is John Michael Becker. I visited a few years ago. You might remember me. Of course, he didn't remember me. And uh, I'm an engineer. I can speak English. I can't speak any Korean. Could I be of any help at your orphanage? <laughs> what do you need an engineer who can't speak your language for at your orphanage? But I send it, and I'm like, God, if this is you, do something. And I wait. And July passes. He replies in August. And it's like one line. It's like, oh, I'm not sure. I'll talk to my staff. We'll see. I'm like, thank you very much. You know, let me know. And, and I wait. August passes. I'm digging ditches. I'm laying wire. I'm waiting on the Lord. September is passing. At the end of September, I've had my prayer time, and I was getting in bed. And I was laying there, falling asleep. But I was thinking about Korea. And I was thinking about the faith jump that it would involve. Because I didn't know anyone in Korea. I couldn't speak the language. I didn't really know the culture. I'd be living in an orphanage with 88 kids. Um, I can't communicate with them. I had no experience with children. I had no heart for children. Okay, guys, I'm just, that was where I was at then. Uh, I didn't, I, you put me in a room with kids and I'm like, stand there. I don't know what to do. Like they run around all around me and I'm like, you know, get me out of here. Okay, that's where I was at. And uh, in Korea, I'd had rough experiences there. Like, man, I got to go to Korea, and then I wouldn't be going with a ministry team. I'd be going alone. I'd have to have raised support. There's a lot of faith jumps here, okay? And it was kind of like overwhelming. But that night, I was getting convicted with all those times I had sung worship songs like, Jesus, I believe in you, and I'll go to the ends of the earth. You know, like, yeah, God, I'll, I'll follow you. I love you. I'd done that, but now I was being confronted with it. Did you really mean it? And I really believe that if I hadn't been seeking the Lord in college, if I hadn't been getting to know him more and more, that I would have chickened out. I'd been like, man, forget this. I'm just going to get my engineering job. Why would I risk my life to go to Korea when I don't even know what I'm going to do for my future? What, I'm going to teach some orphans for a few years? Then what? You know, how am I going to get married? Like, what, what's my future going to be? How am I going to get a job, you know, after that? Uh, but because I'd sought the Lord so much, I knew, man, he's good. And in that night, his peace, it just fell on me. And verses like Hebrews 13, 5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The end of the Great Commission, surely I'm with you always, even now, to the very end of this age. All right, his promises, they just fell on me. They just consumed me. And it felt so good. And I was like, God, I will go wherever you want me to go. If Pastor Che emails me tomorrow and asks me to come to Korea, I'm just going to go. I'm going to trust in you. You will meet all my needs according to your glorious riches. You will take care of me. And I was able to pray that that night. And that was that night where I really believe that my heart was fully given to the Lord. It was like I, that, that conviction was there. One week later, my mom got an email from a friend of hers in the Midwest, like, like far away from us. And this lady, I don't really know her. Well, this lady asked my mom, how's John Michael doing? And she replied and said, oh, he's working construction. We're not sure what he's going to do with his future. He might be an engineer. He might go to another country, do, do missions work. Well, she replies back, and this is a woman that my mom trusts a lot. And she says, uh, I've been praying a lot, and I felt God lead, lead me to put aside a sum of money for missions. And so I kept praying and asking God, well, what missions group, what country, what mission, like who am I supposed to give this to? And God told me very clearly that I'm to give this money to John Michael. And so in December, I will be giving John Michael $1,500 a month for an entire year to wherever God leads him. That's $18,000 out of nowhere. No support letter, no confirmation. Guys, I'm waking up at 4.30 in the morning to go work construction. That was what I was doing at that time. And suddenly this lady's giving me $18,000. And my mom, she calls me down, shows me the email, and is like, she's like, what is going on? And she looks at me and says, look, John Michael, you better go somewhere. Because this lady's giving you all this money. You just got to go. You know what God was doing was? He wasn't just leading me with clarity. He was leading my parents. It wasn't my friend that was giving me all that money. It was my parents' friend. Okay, it wasn't me getting these vivid dreams of Korea. It was my dad. You know what happened was, a couple weeks after that, my dad had two more vivid dreams of me at the orphanage. The third dream was me moving in to where I would be staying in the orphanage. The fourth dream was me teaching English to the children. They were so vivid that I remember my dad at the kitchen table, we'd be eating, and he wasn't eating because he was so just fascinated with these dreams. He'd never been to Asia, and he's telling me all these details about the orphanage. He's like, you know, you better watch out. You know, they don't have hot water all the time, so, you know, it's going to be tough, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, okay. It was so clear that my family, they finally gathered me around in mid-October, and uh, my two sisters, brother-in-law, and my parents, and they each shared their heart. And for each of them, missions are scary. 
And, you know, going to another country, losing me, you know, it's scary. But they all said, man, to serve the orphans is a good thing. This is clearly God. And they each blessed me. And then my parents, they shared, John Michael, this is clearly God. And we want to tell you that we are no longer your responsibility. And so if something happens to us, okay, later on, if something happens to us, you entrust us to the Lord, you continue to do his work. God will take care of you. He will take care of us. We're no longer your responsibility. Because that's powerful. Then they all laid their hands on me and they blessed me. It was like two days later, it might have been the next day, Pastor Che finally responded. And he said, we would like you to come out, live in our orphanage, teach English to our kids. We'd like you to come out after Christmas. So I bought my plane ticket that day. I stopped working construction, spent some last, you know, a few weeks with my family. And then I moved to Korea December 29th, 2005. And lived in the orphanage for three years. And God has just continued to grow things. He's continued to build things up. He has provided all my needs. And you know what's so cool is the two people that were the most against me doing missions, my mom and my dad, they are my greatest supporters. My dad continues to get dreams today about my future, specifically about North Korea. He has had so many vivid dreams about North Korea that he is ready to drop everything and come and join me on the missions field. Okay? God is amazing. Amen? Seek him. Well, he can be found, guys. Call to him and he will answer you and tell you great unsearchable things you do not know. Come to him. He will give you rest. Commit your, your plans to the Lord and your ways will succeed. You commit it to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will prosper you in all your ways. You just got to lay it down. And you got to say, God, I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to put you first. And I'm going to put you to the test. Guys, I don't mind if you do this. And be like, God... I'm praying, and don't, don't make it ridiculous, like, God, give me straight A's right now, okay? Make it reasonable, but be like, God, I've been trying so hard to get this GPA. Maybe you've, you've always gotten like a, a three, I think in Korea it's higher, but maybe you've always been trying to get like a 3.5, and you're always at like a 3.3. I challenge you, be like, God, I want to get a 3.5 this semester, but I'm going to put you first. I'm going to pray first each day. I'm going to read the Bible first before I study. And if that might mean, if it's a really busy day, that I don't get to study, uh-oh, okay? I'm just going to pray. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to get some sleep. Guys, when the clock would hit midnight for me in college, I was very disciplined. I would go to sleep. I didn't study all night. All right, all-nighters, man, they're stupid. Don't do all-nighters, all right? Uh, it just jacks up your system. Your mind needs to be straight. And I would do that, and God would take care of me. And, uh, and He will do the same for you. And watch. Watch as He takes care of you. And He's going to increase your faith more and more and he's going to prosper you more and more because no longer is your life in your hands and you're trying to control everything and do everything on your own but now your life is in god's hands think about what he can do for you think about where he can lead you how he can affect you you got to want him though guys you got to want him and i'll tell you as i've wanted him more and more he has never disappointed me isaiah 49 23 says those who hope in the lord will not be disappointed those who wait on him will not be put to shame. Isaiah 49, 23. Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. And I've experienced that time after time after time in my life. He will not disappoint you. Man, I could share so much more. Uh, but I want to share some specific stories about spiritual warfare with you guys. I know my time is supposed to be up, but hey, I got the mic. And... Uh, you got to know is it's so much more life is so much more than you and it's when you seek him that you realize that and you know when i got really deep in prayer it wasn't when god was answering all my prayers it was when i was realizing i was experiencing god's heart for those around me it was really during my third year that this happened i'd never cried i rarely cried growing up but as i sought the lord more and more and as i began to get his heart i would weep I would be praying for people. And part of the reason why the prayer time would go so long is because I would just stop. And I would start to weep because I could feel God's heart for the broken. I could feel his heart for these people that I was praying for. And it was just, it was crazy. I was like, man, I don't cry. Like, I'm tough. You know, like, what's going on? But I would, I would just get overwhelmed by his love. And it was this that, that drew me into wanting more, into seeking him more, and into praying more. And I will tell you guys, early on, the anointing on my life was not that strong. And I would pray for people who were oppressed and were hurting, and I would see some fruit here and there. But he doesn't disappoint you. Guys, I'm now the healing and deliverance coordinator of New Philadelphia Church. 
Now I'm like setting people free of like crazy stuff that I, I thought I had no chance of setting people free of in college. This is what God will do in your life. As you seek him, he will build you up. And what you got to be aware of is that it's not all about you and that there are angels around you. There are angels in this room and there are demons. Okay, there is spiritual warfare going on. And I feel like for a number of you, you guys are from Southeast Asia. You're from different parts of Asia. You got to be alert to this because you are in a place right now where you can seek the Lord with freedom and you can seek the Lord with all your heart. And you are in a time where, oh, yeah, college is so busy. It's not that busy. Okay, college does not take up all your life. I studied engineering. I studied really hard. Okay, took very difficult classes, but I still had time. Guys, you have time right now to seek him. You have time to show up at this large group. Okay, and hear me, hear me speak. This is a season for you to get built up so that when you go back, you're strong. And I'm going to share three stories with you guys. All right. Uh, one of them, um, this, is, this is a heavy story. Okay. You guys, I think you guys need to hear this, though, um, because I feel like your eyes are being opened more and more to the spiritual realm. You got to know that it's life and death. Okay. These Buddhist monks, um, these, these different gurus, these different mudang. Okay, these different people, it's no joke. All right, what's going on is very real. All these saju tarot card readers, it's very real what's going on around you, and it's very dark. All right, uh, I was in college. I was, I think, a fifth year. It was before I was graduating. I was driving home because of my senior engineering project. I had to do research in Washington, D.C. So I'm driving like four and a half hours, and it's a snowstorm. And I'm really tired, so I'm just like praying, I'm worshiping. And I asked God, God, is there someone you want me to call right now? And God put on my heart my Bible study leader from when I was a sophomore. It was like three years earlier. And he had long since graduated, moved away. Well, I still had his number, and I called him up. And uh, he's like, hey, you know, we, we start catching up. And then he said, John Michael, it's funny you called. Something just happened really recently that I could use your advice on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, go ahead and share. And he's the worship pastor at his church. And he had uh, two people on his team, Brad and Amy. They were married. Brad is a special forces with the U.S. military. Okay? This is like top secret stuff. Very well-trained soldier. And whenever he would get sent on a mission, he couldn't tell his wife Amy where he was going. It was that top secret. And, uh, and so he had to fly out to, um, she didn't know it at the time, it was Afghanistan. Uh, and so, you know, it was very sudden. He got the news. They, they hugged, said goodbye, he had to fly out. So she's living alone, all right, and, and she's, you know, just, just praying for him. You're not really getting any word from him. And one night, this guy knocks on the door, and it's this guy in the community that was just strange, all right? And you'll notice there's a lot of strange people in Korea. There's a lot of strange people all around the world. Well, this guy was one of those people who would walk around and just talk gibberish to himself, kind of a homeless man, but people would stay away from him because there was something about him, the words that he would say, that had a lot of weight and would put a lot of fear, okay? Um, you just predict things, okay? And, and so he shows up, knocks on the door. She opens it. Here's this, here's this guy, and he's got this grin on his face. And he's like, Amy, I, I, I just want to, to tell you ahead of time that um, your husband, he's gone to do a good work for the nation and you're not going to see him again because he's going to die for the nation but it's a good thing because he's serving the nation and i just i just wanted you to know this now so you wouldn't be in shock okay and he walked away and she's just like okay wacko slams the door like whatever all right and she's just like shaking that off this guy's crazy all right he's not filled with the holy spirit he doesn't know what he's talking about well that night She's on the phone with her mom, and she's cooking, and she's like, I'm so hungry. Like, uh, I wish I'd ordered a pizza. I'm really in the mood for a pizza. And, uh, and then there's a knock at the door, and she goes and opens the door, and there's that strange man again holding a pizza. And he said, just so you know, and he gives her the pizza, and he walks away. She freaks out. Okay, she just freaks out. She calls my buddy. She calls her pastor. I'm never going to see him again. What's going on? And, and they go, and they're mystified. What, how do you handle that? Okay, you know, what, what do you do? And, they, and what my buddy Tim finally said, he said, look, 1 John 4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. And they said, look, this guy's not filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Okay? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God has come that we may have life and have it to the full. We've got to trust in the Lord. We've got to pray and know that it is God's will that will be done, not this demonic will. we just got to pray. And I said, Tim, that's perfect. That's, that's what you needed to say. And I prayed for him, and I was like, look, man, keep me updated. And I prayed for him as I was driving home, hung up, prayed for, for Brad and Amy. I got home. Well, months passed. I, I never saw Tim because he lived far away. I graduate, I'm working construction, and then I'm, you know, I'm praying at night, and Tim comes back in my heart. And so I'm like, oh, I wonder what happened. And I call him. I'm like, you know, we catch up. I'm like, hey, what happened to Brad and Amy? And he said, thank you so much for praying. You see, what happened was Brad uh, was doing special forces in Afghanistan, a very dangerous area, and suddenly he got a call for a training exercise back home in Virginia Beach where Tim and Brad and Amy lived. And so he was sent back to Virginia Beach. And uh, in his place, while he was gone, uh, his buddy died in his place. But when he got home to Virginia Beach, they looked in the papers and said it was completely wrong, that he shouldn't be there. And they said, where did you get these orders? He said, well, I got it back there. And they tried to trace it. They couldn't trace the orders. There was no reason why he was sent back. It was a mystery to the U.S. military. They couldn't get it. But he went back to Afghanistan, finished his term, came back. He's alive and well. Okay? What you guys need to know is that the spiritual battle is real. Satan is not weak and pitiful. Okay? He does get a measure of wisdom. He's known as the prince of this earth. Okay? He gets a measure of wisdom. That's why these tarot card readers, they're not just spouting out a bunch of complete lies. They're going to hit on these little truths. Okay? Uh, from the demonic realm. But what they share is meant to create fear. It's meant to create doubt. It's meant to get you off of God's plan. All right? It's meant to get you out of God's perfect will. And I, I can't explain exactly what happened with Brad and Amy, but I believe the enemy knew that someone was going to die in this battle. And it knew that was supposed to be Brad's position. And so this guy, on the other side of the world, channels these spirits, and he's speaking that stuff to Amy. We pray... God removes Brad out of that situation, okay? And so that, that crazy guy's prophecy, while someone did die, it wasn't Brad. It was false. Why? Because we had prayed and Brad had been rescued. You see, if we hadn't prayed, Brad would have never gotten those crazy phantom orders and been sent to America. He would have died, just like that guy predicted. But because we prayed, he was pulled out. You see this power in prayer? All right. Uh, there was some churches in, uh, I, I can't remember, it was Pittsburgh. It was somewhere in Pennsylvania. And uh, um, this one church where my friend, uh, she grew up there, it was just stagnant. The church was not growing, okay? And it was actually starting to dwindle. And they're seeking the Lord. They're trying to do everything right, but it's just falling apart. And they're like, what is going on? So they go to the other churches around them, and they start to just connect. And what they find is all these churches in this perimeter, like a circle, they're all dying. All of them are dying. And they're like, look, we got to pray. Good idea, right? Let's pray. And so they start to get together and they start to pray. And you know what happens is as they are praying, God reveals to them that in the center of where all their churches are located in this town is a building where a cult, a church of Satan, is meeting. And they identify this. And so they start praying against it. And they start praying and they, start, they just keep worshiping the Lord, praying against it. What happens is this cult, Suddenly, it just, it like empties. It leaves the place. A new church comes, rebuilds on the area. It forms a church. All the churches there start to prosper. That spiritual cloud, that weight's been lifted. Why? Because they prayed. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is not in trying to convince you to believe in God and, and just trying to get by and trying to fight with this person. Our battle is with the spiritual forces that are trying to influence these people. And as we pray, the enemy can't stand it. As we worship, he's got to get out of here. And so as we live unto him, as we seek the Lord, it starts to clean up the atmosphere. And when we pray together, there's even greater power. And so these people can come to know the Lord. Uh, I met some missionaries, and they did this travel the road thing where they started in Vietnam. And they just traveled the road like Paul and Silas. They went through uh, Cambodia, through Thailand, through Myanmar, through, uh, I think it was Nepal. They actually went up into Afghanistan, through the Middle East, into Africa, and they lived off of nothing. They just went trusting in the Lord, and they would go town to town, and the townspeople would take care of them. 
Okay, crazy stories. But one of the stories that I loved uh, that they shared was they were in Afghanistan, and they would go to these Muslim towns. We talk about spiritual strongholds, okay? They would go into these Muslim towns, and they would gather everybody, and they would share the gospel, they would share while they're there, and there was such a grace on them that people would accept Christ. But they went into this one town in Afghanistan, and everyone's very welcoming. They had never gotten a foreigner in that area before, at least not like this. And, and so they bring them in, and, and they gather everyone together to meet the town people. And, and then they begin to share who they are, where they're from, and they begin to present the gospel. And they said when they began to present the gospel, suddenly the room, like, it was just, like, dead. And everyone's just, like, like this. And there was no response. And they did an altar call. No one got up. And they said in every town they went to, at least a few people would accept Christ. But in this town, dead. So they're like, well, that's weird. Let's try again in the morning. Next morning, they gather everybody together. They did the same thing, you know, d- different altar call. No one moved. And it was just like eyes were glazed over. And they couldn't get it. I think they had three revival services, nothing. And uh, so they were walking outside. I think it was their third and fourth day. And they're walking outside the town with their translator and, uh, you know, trying to make sense of everything. And they meet some UN, United Nations soldiers. And these soldiers are, like, shocked to find some white faces. And so they're, like, oh, talking to them in English and, and everything. And, and then down the road comes this really tall Arabic guy. And he's talking to his hands in Arabic. He's just talking to his hands, talking to his hands, walking down the road. And one of the missionaries, he just got, like, this surge in him, in his spirit. And he started yelling at him, Lord, rebuke you. Lord, rebuke you. Lord, rebuke you, Satan. This is God's town. Lord, rebuke you. This is God's city. Lord, rebuke you. And he begins yelling at this guy. Well, the other missionary and the soldiers are like, are you crazy? Like, like what's going on? And, uh, but then the, the tall Arabic guy looks at him, and he gets angry and starts yelling back in Arabic. Now, they don't know what they're yelling at each other, but they're yelling at each other, okay? And then the Arabic guy kind of like, and he just runs, runs away. And... You know, then the missionary kind of calms down, and the other guys are like, what is your problem? Like, what's going on here? Well, then they look over, and the translator is shaking. And he's just like, he's shook up. And they're like, hey, 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 what's going on? He's like, do you know what the guy was saying? No, what was he saying? He said, this is Allah's town. This is my town. This is Allah's town. You go away. This is Allah's town. They were yelling the same thing back at each other. Okay, but he was praying in the name of Jesus. That guy ran off. You know what happened? They went back into that town, had a revival service. Everybody stands up, accepts the Lord. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's in the spiritual realm. Guys, if you don't seek him right now, what are you going to do with your life? You're going to be in darkness, okay? And it's not going to be fun. The world world tries to tell you, oh, you'll make a lot of money and you'll be rich and everything will be answered. No, okay? The the American dreams, it's foolishness. You got to find your delight in him. He'll provide all your desires. He'll provide all your needs. He will bless you guys. He took care of me. He gave me the GPA. He provided all, all the funds, guys. I'm not a poor missionary standing before you saying, believe in Jesus. You know, it's guys, he's taking care of me. He has blessed me. All right. In every area, I could share so many more testimonies, like how I met my wife. Guys, it's exciting. It's really cool. How I met her, it wasn't just, you know, and then, then I met her and, hey, you believe in God, I believe in God. Let's, you know, it wasn't like that. That testimony's fine, but I'm telling you guys, when you give your life to the Lord fully and completely, it's going to be more exciting. It's going to be a lot more cool. Now, if you just want to walk with God lackadaisically, like, oh, you know, God's cool, you know, then you're going to have that type of life. You're going to have those types of stories, all right? But I really feel you guys are set apart. And you guys are in a season right now. You're in a specific place, okay, where God is saying, call to me. And I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I have so much in store for you. And as you get deep with me, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you go back to your home country, when you go back to your family, to your friends, you go back to wherever you are from, you're going to carry the presence of God in so much greater power. And there's going to be breakthrough. His power is going to be released. He is able. God is able. Sarah, could you come up? Actually, Bora. She's not here. Sarah. Guys, I want, I want to pray for you guys. Um, I'm going to have you guys stand up and just line up right here.
I just want to bless you guys. Come, come up. I'll tell you what, one line can stand on the stage. Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to like, ah, you know, do that. It's okay. It's safe. It's a safe place. Yeah, one line on the stage, one line behind. So there can be room so that we can walk in between you. Okay. It's all right. You don't, you know. So the, the people st- not on the stage, if you could step back so that you're like near the chairs, just so that there's room. I just want to bless you guys. You got to want them, guys. You got to want them. Taste and see the Lord is good because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. As you taste them, you're going to want them more and more. At the beginning, it's just going to be little. Okay, it's like you're, you're turning on the sink. When you first turn it on, it's just a trickle. It's going to be like that. But that's okay. Okay, babies don't eat steak. You got to take it in little by little. But as you do, it's going to get better and better and better. And you're going to get stronger and stronger and you're going to start to have testimonies that are going to be so ridiculous. Guys, it starts with prayer. It starts with opening your Bible. It starts with saying, God, I want you more. You know why I fasted? I didn't fast my freshman year. I, the first time I ever fasted was on September 11th, 2001, when the World Trade Center, uh, when, it, when it, the two towers fell, because I was so sick. I couldn't eat. And uh, my friend said, why don't you fast? And I was like, what's fasting? And uh, he led me in it, and I fasted, and I knew it was good. Even though there wasn't some miracle that happened during that time, I just knew God was honoring it. And so I would do it once a month. And then the next year, I would do it once every other week. And then just I just wanted more. And I said, God, more than food, or more than the Internet, or more than whatever I was giving up, God, I want you more. I want you more. I want you more. And he's going to reveal more and more and more to you. God is the master at romance. Romance without mystery is nothing. God is mysterious. And he wants to show you more and more. He is infinite. There is no end to his glory, guys. The stories that I've shared are just a few from my life. There are so many more. And you know, by the time I'm old, by the time I die, I pray that I will have so many testimonies, I can't remember them all. Because God is that amazing. Because he's that good. And he wants the same for your life. So right now, I just want, I want you guys to just, just talk to the Lord and say, God, I want you more. God, I pray, God, you know, this GPA is really important to me or, or whatever, this is really important to me. But God, I, help me put you first and help me trust that these things that are important to me, God, you will take care of. I'm entrusting it to you. I'm entrusting it to you. I want you more. And guys, tonight, I want you to lay it in his hands. And you're going to see him work in ways that you could have never imagined. Okay, and as you're praying right now, uh, I'm going to have the staff. We're just going to come.